0: Welcome to Have You Heard, the AABP podcast. My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich. I'm the executive director of AABP, and it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Christine Navarre and Dr. Gabe Middleton uh, on our podcast today, and we're going to be talking about the CAST issue paper that uh, Dr. Navarre was a lead uh, author on and uh, and also talk to Dr. Middleton about his role with CAST. So first off, Gabe, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about some, about yourself and then uh maybe talk a little bit about what is CAST and what your role in CAST is.
1: Thanks, Fred. Um, so I am the uh, past president of CAST, and for those who aren't familiar with CAST, it stands for the Council for Ag Science and Technology. Uh, my, my day job is a veterinarian at Orville Vet Clinic. I'm a partner there. i uh, been here for 12 years, graduated from Ohio State in 2008. And do, I do a lot of cattle work, uh, also some, some equine here in Amish country. So I'm happy to be on today. Um, first of all, about CAST, I was the AABP representative for three years and then became president of CAST and now past president. And as I rotate off, I've learned the ropes uh, of what CAST is. Dr. Lowell Midla is a past president of CAST, and he coined it to me, and I, I think this is really true, that CAST is considered... A society of the societies so it's comprised of society members of which aabp would be uh, university members and industry represent representatives that form three boards uh, the largest board is the board of representatives and within that board there are three groups a food working group an animal working group and a plant working group and what these groups do is they're involved in the ideation process to identify important topics in agriculture within those three topics. Uh, and then what they do is put forth a proposal for a potential paper. They seek out the best talent, which we would consider Dr. Navarre the best talent in this topic. And that person uh, puts together authors for the paper. So CAST does not do new research. Rather, they synthesize available data in a format that's consumable to folks in agriculture, scientists, even lay people or policymakers. And then those papers are presented uh, in Washington, D.C. and around the country, and they're available free on CAST website. So CAST is funded through company, university, society, as well as individual memberships, and we do receive funding for these papers, uh, but, but we typically just use that money to go towards those papers, and that's not a large part of, of CAST budget. We do the papers, which is our main product, to really try to educate those folks about the key issues in agriculture.
0: Yeah, great, great. And AABP is a, is a member of CAST, of course, and our, our current uh, representative is Jason Nickel. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate the, the collaboration and the opportunity to work with, with CAST. So, Christine uh, – Why don't you first introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about uh, you and your role with CAST and and, and your role with AABP as well.
2: Yeah, so uh, I'm Christine Navarre. I'm currently the Extension Veterinarian um, with the um, Louisiana State University Agricultural Center. uh, I was in... Mixed practice, uh, rural practice years ago and uh, went back into academia and, and now in extension. And um, I am current parliamentarian for ABP and I'm also a, a past president and uh, really honored uh, to be asked to work on this uh, paper and want to thank uh, CAST for, for getting me involved.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So and, and Christine, you were involved uh, with AABP. When we initially, uh, when our organization initially started looking at the subject of uh, rural veterinary practice sustainability and a potential shortage of food animal veterinarians, and AABP formed the Food Supply Veterinary Medicine Coalition. um, And uh, uh, at that time, uh, it was predicted there would be a 4% increase in demand uh, from 2004 to 2016 and then in 2011 AABP formed that ad hoc rural veterinary practice uh, committee now called our veterinary practice sustainability committee Uh, maybe can you talk a little bit about what this committee did uh, what it looks like now and uh, maybe some of the findings that AABP came up with at that time when this subject was initially discussed.
2: Yeah, thanks, Fred. So the the results of that, um, the Food Supply Veterinary Medicine Coalition, uh, and ABP was part of that, came out. And um, we, you know, kind of jumped on the low-hanging fruit. They, you know, said that there was going to be a demand for rural students, and we didn't have enough students. And so a lot of us jumped on the bandwagon and started recruiting students uh, to veterinary school or helping with that. You know, we had practitioners talking about how, you know, much they loved rural Uh, practice and and being veterinarians, and so we had a a really uh, big recruitment push, and then around 2009, 2010, the ABP leadership, uh, Dr. Roger Saltman was president at the time, and I was vice uh, president, really started to hear from our student members that said, you know, boy, you've said that there's jobs out there, and we can't find any, and so uh, Roger formed a committee and handed it off to me, and then that uh, or an ad hoc committee and and over the next year, when I was president, we um, met several times in person and uh, and came up with a, an opinion summary. and the 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 basic outcome of that was that we really need to be careful in that um, the issue is not just a shortage of of people, that it's really a rural community and a, a rural practice. Uh, issue. And it's, it's bigger than just training students and recruiting uh, students. You know, some of these areas just can't support a large animal veterinary business. Uh, and so we, you know, really kind of wanted to put a break, the brakes on, you know, do we need to recruit more students? Uh, do we need to have more veterinary s- school seats? Uh, you know, those things are important to look at, but that's only part of a much bigger picture.
0: Right. Absolutely and so that's now uh morphed into you know your role with with cast on this what was your role christine with this paper and and uh you know the the other um uh, authors on the paper what was their role how did this come about
2: so i was asked um dr middleton asked me to to chair this committee and then i worked with cast to find committee members we wanted uh, veterinarians, we needed ag economists, we have some rural sociologists on the committee uh, to really take a a large look at this. And so my job was to help put the committee together and then look at the questions posed by the the CAST board uh, and then take those committee members and divide and conquer. And so each committee member, um, we formed some subgroups uh, and those subgroups tackled um, certain parts of this paper and then my job was to get back together and, and put it all together uh, into one package.
0: Okay, okay. And uh, what what was the central question? What was the paper uh, trying to address?
2: So the, the topic was recruitment and retention, uh, you know, and how important that is. That's the title, how important uh recruitment and retention is to maintaining a, a, a food animal veterinary supply and and how important that is. Um, and so we kind of boiled it down um, into, you know, why is it difficult to recruit and retain food animal veterinarians? And we looked at not only private practice um, but public health veterinarians and we looked at both rural and non-rural, although much of the literature focuses on uh, rural veterinarians. And really my goal and the committee's goal was not necessarily to find the, the magic, you know, silver bullet, but to kind of put all the issues in one place and show how interrelated those issues are so we can move forward and, and making sure that people understand that it's going to take a multi-pronged approach to maintain an adequate, you know, veterinary coverage for animal agriculture and public health. We can't just, you know, cherry pick the things that we're interested in or we think are important. It's, it's, it's one big system and we have to look at the entire system.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one uh, word that I know you and I have talked about, uh, Christine and, and, that AABP has been involved with AVMA, certainly all the academic institutions, uh, uh, loan forgiveness programs, et cetera, and they all talk about shortage. Right. Uh, there's a shortage of, of uh, there's a shortage of veterinarians and we're graduating more veterinarians. We know that. Um, and so maybe we can talk a little bit about that word shortage uh, as opposed to recruitment and retention and, and touch on that a little bit. What are your thoughts on that?
2: So, I yeah, I alluded to a little bit. I think the, the term shortage implies that we don't have enough people to fill the spots. And that's not necessarily true. Sometimes we have too many. Sometimes we might not have enough, but it's not the only uh, issue that we have to look at. We have to have... Uh, people that are willing to work on food animals in rural areas. Um, And then we have to also have, you know, those graduates have to be able to make a living in those areas. So, again, just training more students and recruiting more students doesn't mean that those students are going to go out there and actually serve long-term in those rural communities Mm -hmm. there's a lot of issues and and we tried to highlight those in the paper that we have to address or you know throwing more people at it is not going to work we do need a supply uh but we also have to have a demand and we have to have um you know practices that people can like and be happy in and make a living at
0: yeah yeah Absolutely. Absolutely. It seems like I know my time in private practice, I always thought there was a shortage when I couldn't find anyone to hire. <laughs> <Yeah>. and, <laughs> and then if, there, if I didn't need somebody, it didn't affect me. And I know it's the same thing. Um, and Maybe, Gabe, you know, you're you're a, you're a practice owner um, and, and, and do a lot of, of cattle work and, and just rural practice. Your practice is probably pretty typical of a Midwest rural practice Maybe if you could talk a little bit about, uh, about demand, you know, I know that was addressed in the paper that one of the ways for us to address shortage situations is that if there is a demand for veterinary services in that area, uh, then veterinarians are going to work there. And so maybe talk a little bit, Gabe, about what, what are some things that veterinarians can do in their area to increase demand as far as services, how do they bring that to their producers, um, things like that.
1: Sure. So I think that primarily demand is is often related to market forces which are obviously rapidly changing and for anyone that follows the current dairy markets due to COVID-19 there's been a significant dairy crash which you know may and probably will affect demand in the next few months. But I think having diversity within your practice is an excellent way to weather tough times and create the need or the opportunity to hire more food animal veterinarians and ones that are proficient. And I think being trained on and and becoming proficient in non-traditional services is a great way to increase demand. So for example, uh, milk quality analysis, parlor analysis, uh, lung ultrasounds, uh, drug residue avoidance training, records analysis, nutrition. Uh, these These are areas that if vets don't jump into these roles, there's often someone else that will. And obviously, we all uh, make a living doing reproduction on dairies, um, but there's, there's huge opportunities to do some other things. And it may be a great way to get uh, young folks involved in rural practice. And I also think that having a plan for practice ownership transition makes a practice a lot more attractive to proficient young uh, food animal oriented vet students so that they can understand a way that they may be able to invest in a rural business and and increase their worth over time. And I think that that is, uh, something that may be overlooked when we try to get young folks to come back to rural areas.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, Christine, uh, what are some of the challenges, uh, of rural practice that uh, that the paper talked about and uh, maybe some things that we can fix. And then there's some things we can't fix uh, because that's what rural life is like. Uh, I think all three of us on the phone, we, we like rural life. Uh, We can't probably fathom living in a very urban environment. So what are some of the uh, challenges that rural practice has uh, that, 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 or obstacles?
2: Yeah, some of it, you know, has to do with um, the practices themselves, and then a lot of it is just, you know, living in a rural area, and, uh, you know, from a most rural practices or a lot of rural practices are mixed animal, and that's uh, challenging uh, and not, you know, attractive to everyone. Like you said, the three of us love living in rural areas, but it's, it's not for everyone. And from a financial standpoint, even, you know, those graduates that want to go to a rural area, you know, most young families these days, you know, they're, they're, dual-income uh, families, dual-income households. And so uh, finding employment for their significant others, finding childcare, um, just, you know, not being isolated, having, uh, you know, colleagues to uh, talk to. You know, it's it's a easier these days. But uh, a lot of issues that are not, um, you know, we're not alone in that. In the veterinary profession, those are issues that other medical professions and other, you um, groups, uh, also, uh, struggle with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Gabe, would you, do you have anything to add to that as far as, uh, challenges with rural practice and how you might address that as a practice owner's perspective?
1: Yeah, I think, I think Christine, uh, hit the nail on the head with, with a lot of what, what she brought up. Um, I think, you know, paying, paying students or paying graduate new graduate veterinarians well is really important to set up your practice to where you're able to do that. Um, you know, again, I go back to the economic pressure in ag markets and, and trying to find other ways to add value, I think is, is really, really important for us to do so that we don't just put all of our eggs in the, the reproductive basket on dairy, so to speak, or, or sick cow medicine. Um, you know, student debt is, is a big challenge, and uh, that's probably one of the biggest hurdles that we have to address um, but we do have some advantages in rural practice. Cost of living is, is much less. And I think if we can find a way to, to pay our, our recent grads and new grads well, it makes that situation look a lot more attractive to them.
0: Yeah. And I know, Christine, the paper did talk about uh, student debt, its negative impact on well-being, and that's been um, studied quite a bit in other uh, studies and papers do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what the paper, uh, what the issue paper um, addressed as far as uh, student debt and how that might negatively impact uh, recruitment and retention?
2: Yeah, it's it's not just an issue for food animal veterinarians. It's a it's a profession wide issue and it, it's something we have to address and. And more specifically, it's not just the debt it's the you know the income that's mm-hmm. um, available to service that debt so it's the debt to income uh, ratio and and that's just uh it's too high right now it's it's really Uh, not sustainable and a lot of the efforts um, to address it have been done after the fact so the veterinary medical loan repayment program which um, helps students with their debt load uh, forgives that if they stay in in certain food animal um, practices and in need areas Uh, but that doesn't address the underlying you know how do we curtail the rise in debt on the front end and then how do we uh, as, as Gabe said, how do we make sure that salaries are there? And when you look at food animal exclusive practices, whether they're rural or non-rural, they actually have um, high salaries and lower debt. Um, rural practices, mixed practices are, are really more on the average of the profession um, but what we don't know is why that is. We don't know if, you know, students who want to go into food animal, you know, you could speculate that they're more frugal, but that doesn't, you know, there's no data behind that or, you know, we, what we really need is just more data, um, as to why different areas, um, have different debt to income ratios and make sure that we're not, um, reading more into some of the numbers than, uh, we should.
0: So I'd like to talk a little bit about retention now um, because I do feel that just me personally and in my role with AABP, uh, I feel that retention is a, is a problem. I, you know, we, have, we have lots of AABP student members. Uh, and when I look at AABP data just on renewals, um, we have a pretty interesting what I call a, a survival curve. Uh, survival being you, you're still an AABP member, and it drops off precipitously uh, for about the first uh, ten years, and then it's pretty stable until the uh, end of your career, and then uh, we lose members either to uh, retirement or uh, or they're no longer living, of course. So, uh, for for AABP, we see that first ten years. It it appears that that first ten years is is where we lose the vast majority of our members. We don't know why. We don't have uh, data on that. Um, so maybe, Gabe. I know. I, I've always. I. I'm, I live thirty miles from from Gabe's practice in Orville, and uh, I was always impressed with your clinic because it appears that you have an incredibly high retention uh, of associates. And I always used to joke that uh, your practice reminded me of that uh, um, movie called The Firm where nobody was ever allowed to leave. So um, just wondering, you know, how do you keep your associates? How do you keep them happy? I know you talked about paying them well, et cetera. But there's other things that make people stay at a practice besides income. And there's probably some evidence out there that um, the younger
1: generation
0: is is They're motivated by money, but that's not the only thing that makes them happy.
1: Well, I agree with you 100%, Fred. What we found is that just giving somebody a bonus or a cash gift is nice, but it really doesn't mean as much to them as as having some time off to recharge and get their mind back in the right place. Um, You know, I, I really go back to mentorship and there's a lot of mistakes that I've made over the last couple years. We have a lot of young associates here, and we have been very fortunate to keep, keep most of them here. Um, I made a lot of mistakes in mentorship, but I think I'm, I'm learning and trying to improve. And I, I think there's a few things that are really key for people that, that have recent or new graduates when it comes to mentorship. So don't just ask if, if they need help with something. Don't wait for them or don't have them ask. I'm sorry. Don't wait for them to ask or seek it out. Provide it to them. So continue to seek out what, what areas are you interested in? What do you want to grow in? And, and I, I try to give my young veterinarians an area for them to grow and improve in outside of just emergency work. So an example would be milk quality. For, for 10 years here, I did most of the milk quality analysis, parlor analysis, and, and I have delegated that to um, a younger associate of mine, and she has done a phenomenal job. She's doing things in parlors that I never did, and, and it's it's really cool to see that. Uh, another one of our young doctors is the one that, that handles our lung ultrasounds, and she's finding things on dairies that, that we never thought ever happened in regards to, you know, BRD and young calves. And I would have probably not taken the time or had enough detail to do it, but she's just doing a phenomenal job. So give them an area to grow. Um, we try to communicate frequently. And I think the interesting thing about the COVID-19 pandemic is, is it, it's allowed us to communicate in different ways. So for example, we have Zoom meetings now with our large animal team. So we don't have to wait for everyone to come back to the office. Um, the other things we try to do, uh, try to, you know, talk about interesting cases or, or case workups and learn from one another. Um, we try to be available to them. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of stresses. I feel it myself as a practice owner, and I can only imagine what a, a recent grad is feeling. You know, this job is, is fun, but it's not easy. And we need to be able to communicate to those, uh, those young people to make sure they're doing okay and, and we really try to prevent burnout. We give some additional days off. If you work the weekend, you get the following Friday off. Um, again, we talked about we try to be fair with compensation. We really try to prevent burnout. And and the last thing, and it's it's probably, I think, a really important thing, is try to foster connections in the community. So that might be church connections or social groups with other young people, young professionals, so that they, they don't feel like they're alone here in a rural community. And, and those things have have really helped us. We're trying to improve as always, but they've been beneficial to our practice.
0: Excellent. Those are all really, really great tips. And and, uh, I think caring for your associates and providing them things outside of their, of their, uh, uh, their compensation is, is really important. Gabe, Christine coming from academia and also, uh, your work on this paper, um, training of food animal veterinarians, training the next generation of food animal veterinarians. i have always told the students that rode through my practice that they know so much more than I knew when I graduated. Um, But I feel like I had more confidence uh, when I graduated, which was probably misguided. (laughs) So, uh, and I think that, uh, uh, Just the volume of information, the modern uh, medicine, uh, production medicine that these new grads know is is really incredible, but they have to learn a lot besides just cattle medicine or or rural practice medicine, and that's a challenge for academia. So maybe talk a little bit about uh, how training of food animal veterinarians within the academic setting and outside of it impacts recruitment and retention and uh, the status of food animal education at colleges of veterinary medicine today.
2: Yeah. So I think um, two of the biggest challenges, uh, funding for, um, for faculty and and staff is a, is a huge issue. We've got to have people that, you know, have the time to actually, you know, that they need to put into the education and, um, and then, and keep up. I mean, as you said, there's just so much to know and you've got to learn it before you can pass it on to the students. And, um, and so it's, it's the academic environment is definitely a challenge and it's not just for, um, for food animal uh, clinicians. Uh, and then that volume of, um, information, that information overload is, is a, is a huge challenge for the profession. And, um, you know, as we've, we've seen a lot of programs shift from a, you know, a, a food animal focus, um, you know, to more companion animal, we've got to make sure that we keep some of that broad um, based training because I think we're learning, uh, you know, one thing that I think is good that's coming out of COVID-19 is it's offering us some, Opportunities. It's it's highlighting highlighting the basic necessities of of food and and the people and the processes necessary to you know deliver that. I think people are, are feeling uh, the the challenges that um, we're seeing with delivery of of food. It's highlighting one health, uh, and then it's also shifting how we. Uh, deliver education to students, um, out of necessity. We, you know, we have to get creative on how we're, uh, teaching and, you know, we're cooperating across student lines. On Friday, I'm actually doing rounds for Oklahoma State and, you know, before COVID, we wouldn't even thought of doing that. We were all kind of in our little silos. So I think going forward, uh, it's going to make us better. And, and when we have students who are very well trained, then, that's the basis for their confidence. Yeah. They're You know, we've got to teach them how to use that and, and how to prioritize things, but you know, well-trained people are, um, are more confident and they're more competent and then that makes them happier in practice. And that leads to uh, retention. And so it's, it's, it's a huge piece that can't be forgotten about.
0: Yes. And as we're wrapping up here, Christine, what after after going through uh, publishing this paper, working with the other authors, uh, you know, as, as especially as production animal veterinarians, we always want data. And so if, if and I know for me with AABP, I would really like data on that first 10 years uh, where we have our largest drop off of members. <clears throat> you know, why do they? leave ABP. Are they still in cattle practice? Why did they leave cattle practice? You know, I would I would love to have that data. What where where are we lacking data on the subject of recruitment and retention of, of food animal veterinarians?
2: Well, yeah, what what you're talking about is definitely things that we need. We need to not just know the numbers of who's you know, who's leaving and, and how many are leaving, but we need to know the why behind that because that's the only way we're going to be able to, uh, solve some of those, uh, issues. We also, if you, if you look at the, the supply and demand metrics, we need to know what those, what are the best metrics if we're going to try to study that. And, and then should we even try to get a handle on that? Because we've learned, as, as Gabe said, from COVID-19 and just from, you know, the regular, uh, inconsistency of, of markets have a, a huge impact on, uh, on demand. And, and by the time you measure the demand and, and get it out there, the information out there, it's probably changed. But we need to know, you know, it's, it's not necessarily one veterinarian per number of animals, because I think that's going to be different if you're in cow-calf practice versus a feedlot uh, practice. So we really need to look at the best metrics for certain industries, you know, cattle, poultry, swine, all the other animal um, ag industries, and then in, in particular, uh, low cows. And then, you know, one in, one thing that I know that we've talked about in, in ABP is, you know, women in particular don't seem to, uh, and there's some data, a little bit of data on why women don't um, want to choose uh, rural practice. But I think because most of our veterinary graduates are women, we've got to figure out, you know, how we can make these practices um you know, attractive and, and retain women in, in, these, in these practices.
0: That is, that is very, very true. <clears throat> so as we, as we close up here, Gabe, uh, I'll, I'll close out with you. How can, uh, how can we find this issue paper that, that Christine was the lead author on? Uh, if, if members want to look into that, and I know she did a webinar as well. Is that available on the, on the web, on the cast website?
1: Yes, it sure is. So, in fact, all the papers that CAST publishes are available free on the website. The website is cast-science.org, and there's a tab for recent publications. Uh, there's some other ones um, involving the safety of GMOs. There's there's one coming up uh, regarding cultured animal tissues. So, there's a lot of papers there that are of interest to ABP members, and they're they're really easy to read excellent format they don't take that long and they'll really get you get, get you a good grasp on the current scientific consensus around these topics great
0: so I would encourage our members and listeners of this podcast to go to cast- science.org and, and find this issue paper uh, and also the webinar uh, that Christine, did here a couple weeks ago is also recorded and available there where she goes through uh, what we talked about here in the podcast and what they found in the issue paper. So I would encourage our members to do that. And you can certainly donate or join CAST uh, as well uh, when you're on that website. So I challenge our listeners to become involved uh, with recruitment and retention of food animal veterinarians. So the survivability of our Uh, species of veterinarians is is critical, uh, both in practice succession as well as ensuring continuity of care for the animals that are in rural uh, practice areas. So uh, work on mentorship, as as Gabe talked about, work on uh, uh, providing what your associates need, not just compensation, but ensuring that their mental health and well-being and their their, uh, life balance is good. Uh, reach out and introduce them into your communities. And also, uh, recruitment is important too. Uh, Recruiting uh, the the younger folks from your rural communities and encouraging them to to, uh, attend veterinary school uh, uh, is a great way to to recruit people uh, down the road into your practice and into into rural practice. I'd like to thank both of you for taking part in our podcast today. Uh, I appreciate your time greatly
1: thanks
2: Fred. Thanks,
0: Fred.